Okay, happy Sabbath, everyone. So last time I preached here, some weeks ago, the topic was starfalls and how to be safe. Starfalls and how to be safe. I was talking about the sad reality that many Christian stars, powerful people of God, men and women of God, up through history, in the Bible and throughout the history of Christianity, unfortunately have eventually maybe fallen away, uh, walked astray from, from God. And not only in the Bible and in history, but also more recently, in very recent times, and also significantly closer to home than that. So we talked a little bit about that last time, and I believe it's an important message. And if you didn't get to hear it, I encourage you to to listen to the recording of it. Uh, You can find it on Audioverse, uh, for instance. Anyway, star falls and how to be safe. The good news is, though, even though many people have fallen and and met that sad destiny, it doesn't need to happen. And by God's grace, may it not happen with any one of us or any one of our loved ones. I like how my friend Daniel Pell put it, reflecting on a recent fallen star, if you will, Ravi Zacharias, which was a very famous Christian apologist. Daniel Pell put it like this. The recent investigation revealing the astrocious double life of the public Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias has shaken the Christian world. One of Rabbi's books is titled, Has Christianity Failed You? So that was one of his books, Has Christianity Failed You? And then he says, now his own legacy is causing people to feel that Christianity has failed them. People can fail us deeply, but true Christianity, rooted and grounded in the person Jesus, does not Fail. Jesus lived the most consistent life anyone has ever lived. Man fails us, but he never will. Amen? Amen. So even though there are sad examples, the good news, there are also many good examples of Christians who have been faithful until the end. But most importantly, our God never fails us and he always keeps his promises. I also like how our pastor, Jonathan Carlson, said it a couple of weeks ago. You know, that someone is fallen does not mean that the message they preached is not true, right? I think it can be good to keep that in mind as well. You know, one good example of that is Balaam, which used to be a prophet of God. But even though he was even a prophet of God, he apostatized. That doesn't mean he was not inspired by God in the past when he shared those messages. That doesn't make those messages less inspired than they were. So that can be good to keep in mind. Anyway, today's message is basically a continuation of what I shared last time. I call it Starfalls 2, or you may call it Starfalls and How to Help. So, so last time we kind of asked the question, if all these people, if all these powerful, mighty men and women of God could fall, how can I be sure that I will be able to stand? Today we are looking at how to help. What can I do to help maybe a family member, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ to be safe, to avoid that sad destiny? of walking astray, of falling away from Christ. So I believe it's a relevant message. I believe it's a useful, practical message and and, an important message. And I believe that these principles, these lessons we look at, are relevant in in, in a number of ways. It's also relevant in relation to people who already have fallen, maybe, or backslid, and how we can maybe try to help them back, you know, to where they used to be. People that have already lost that living, saving relationship to Jesus Christ. But before we get into the message for today, I would like to have another, another word of prayer. So you can just bow your heads where you are and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this opportunity to come together, to worship you together. And God, I just pray that you may lead this time. God, uh, this is your message. These are your people. I pray that you, your spirit may lead. I pray that we may be inspired and strengthened and that you may help us to more and more be able to truly apply and, and live these, these principles in our lives and that you may use us powerfully and that we may become more and more like Jesus. I also pray, I pray God that as a result of this message and the, the ripple effects of this message, I pray that there will be people in heaven because of it. I think it's possible when you, through your spirit, help us to truly do these things and to be inspired to, to let you use us as you want to. Thank you, God, for hearing and answering this prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Many years ago, the gospel was preached to a number of tribes in, in cent- Central Africa. And many people there, they responded to the message. They accepted the gospel message, you know, by the grace of God. And God was working. And, and after they accepted the gospel, after they accepted the the message of Jesus, they started naturally to, you know, worship God together as groups, but also individually. They started to, to personally spend time with God, to personally, personally spend time at the feet of Jesus, you know, in his word, in prayer. And they did not have a church building at this place. So what they did was they cleared an open spot, kind of in the middle of the jungle there. Uh, they cleared an open space, an open spot where they could go to worship uh, either together or individually. After a short time, there will be many paths going into that open spot, kind of in the center of the jungle there. And people would come from different directions, walking, walking through the high grass there to get into that open spot where they would worship God, either as a group or individually. Now, what, happened would, what then happened was, if, someone, if some of these converts, if some, some of these new Christians, if they eventually would be losing their, their first love, and enthusiasm, another believer would, would come to them and, and, and they would encourage them and they would say to them, brother or, or sister, the grass is growing on your path. The grass is growing on your path. It's time to turn to the Lord. I don't know, it's maybe not so often we do these kind of things and, and some, we may think, uh, Something like that may seem somewhat contrary to our, our culture, but the question is, is this biblical? Is this something we can learn from? Is this something we should do or something similar? Let's look a little bit what the Bible says about that. First of all, the first verse I put on the screen here from Hebrews 3. It says, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We live in a wicked world. We live in a world with lots of temptations. Many ways Satan is trying to put us down and and make us walk away from Jesus. Lose that first love. And we are here in the word of God encouraged to, to exhort one another daily. So our fellow believers will not be hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. Interesting. Turn with me to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to notice another passage here from the Word of God on this note. Hebrews 10, and let's notice verse 23 through 25. It says here, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Powerful passage here. We are encouraged here to to exhort one another. God wants us, the fellow believers, to, to come together and encourage each other, to help each other on the Christian walk, to strengthen each other, to help each other to look to Jesus, you know, to walk on the right path. You know, there are some things in life that you can't really do on your own, or it's pretty hard. I don't know if you have tried this. Uh, I haven't really tried it so much, but my, one of my teachers from last year, Pastor Don McIntosh, he told this story when he, he tried to play tennis with himself. And if you ever try that, you can imagine uh, it doesn't really work very well. Well, if it works, it's probably not very fun, and it's not like, I don't know, you have to play very differently. You have to shoot it very high up in the air and try to run around, I don't know. Tennis is kind of, you kind of need to be more than one person to play tennis, right? Certain things in life we can't really do on our own. And one of those things is the Christian life. We need each other in the Christian life. The Christian life is not designed to live as a hermit, to live in isolation, just on your own. Maybe by the miraculous power of God, if you come in a situation like that and you, you can't meet any other Christian, maybe, you know, sure, he can maybe give you what you need. But God tells us that we should come together. We should meet together. Now, unfortunately, that it's a little bit harder in these recent times, you know, with all of these uh, COVID restrictions, right? But I encourage you to at least, well, Zoom is a good alternative. At least try to tune in there when you can. And if you're able, also meet in person with fellow believers in different ways. It is very important. And notice, what does it say? I want us to notice also important, the important thing it says here in verse, what is it, verse 25. It says that we should do these things so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the closer we come to the end of time, the closer we come to the second coming, the more important it is that we as fellow believers strengthen each other, that we help each other, that we, that we exhort one another, that we encourage each other, that we, 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 we help each other on the Christian walk. Amen? Amen. Now, I like how my favorite author put it. She said it like this in Sons and Daughters of God 274. It says, When we see the ardor and religious zeal of any of our companions growing cool, we must help and encourage such a one. Pray with and for him that he may be a true witness for the Lord. Is that a good counsel, you think? Is that, is that in line with what we just read here in Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 3? I think very much so. So if you see someone, maybe they are losing that fire. They are, they are not where they were spiritually. God calls us. God calls all of us. That's an important part of our ministry. Whatever talents God has given you, an important part of your ministry for Christ is to help your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Maybe a family member. Maybe a friend. Maybe another church member. I don't know. Maybe different people. But, but God wants us to help each other to come and and encourage and, and pray for and, and pray with that person to help him back, to help him get back that fire. Important part of God's calling for us. This is a, a, a Christian duty and a Christian privilege uh, as well. Now, have you ever thought about this? That a key part, a significant part, an essential part of Jesus' ministry was personal efforts. 
a very big and central part of Jesus' ministry when he was here on earth was personal efforts. The book Evangelism put it like this on page 58. It says, The work of Christ was largely composed of personal interviews. Interesting. That's not maybe usually what you think about. We think about these big sermons, thousands of people, these great miracles, all these wonderful, spectacular things, right? But a, a large part, a central part of Jesus' ministry was personal interviews. The one sole audience. And it goes on, the quote says, He had a faithful regard for the one sole audience. And that one soul has carried to thousands the intelligence received. When we think about it, we see that this statement is true. Many of the most well-known and impactful truths that Jesus ever communicated was communicated not in front of thousands of people in a sermon, but to one person or a small group of people. Think about John 3.16, like the most famous Bible verse. Who was that spoken to? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. To one person. The most famous things Jesus said wasn't in front of thousands. It was to one person. And there are many other examples of that. A central part, a big part of Jesus' ministry was personal interviews. We could go on talking about many other people. The same is the case with Paul, I believe, in many ways. Yes, he was a powerful preacher. Yes, he started churches. He wrote letters. But the personal interaction, the personal letters, the personal encouragement to the believers was also a very big part for his ministry. You see that, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Also, when you read about the work of a pastor, the work of a minister in, in books like gospel workers and pastoral ministry and so on, you find statements like this, very interesting statements. Statements that says that the work of the pastor begins when he walks down from the pulpit. Sometimes you think, okay, a big part, in some churches, like the, almost the main part of the work of the pastor is when he's preaching. And of course, it's important as well. But it's like the work of the minister begins when he walks down from the pulpit. And you also find statements like this. Five words spoken after the sermon of the pastor or the minister to someone may mean more than the whole sermon. It may make a bigger impact than the whole sermon. Five words. And this is not only the case for a pastor or a minister, but for all of us. An important part of what God, how God wants to use us to make a difference, to make an impact, is personal uh, ministry to, to non-believers also, but, but even for believers, actually. Very interesting. Now, you see the same also when you look at the ministry of Ellen White, one of the pioneers of our church. She preached in front of audiences of thousands of people. She wrote books that have been read literally by millions of people around the world, converted, converting thousands and thousands of people to, to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet one of the most important parts of her ministry was personal ministry, personal letters. She was writing hundreds and hundreds of personal letters to people, exhorting them to be faithful, exhorting them to come back to Jesus. And, and to me, when I think about these things, I'm like, okay, man, I like preaching, I do preaching, I do some teaching and writing and different things, but hey, maybe this kind of ministry should have a bigger role in my life than it has been. Now, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. An interesting passage here. We want to notice just a few verses from the pen of the Apostle Paul here. Uh, Galatians 6. And let's begin in verse 2. Here it says, Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. God calls us to bear one another's burdens. And then skip down to verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap 
if we do not lose heart. And notice verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to whom? Especially to those who are... What does it say in the end of verse 10 there? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm kind of hesitant to say that because generally I think we, have, we need to do more evangelism than we do. And I have a passion for evangelism. But it's very interesting. It actually says we are actually told that we should especially help. We should especially minister to believers. That is an important part of our calling. To help, to strengthen, to support those who already believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To help them, to exhort them daily, lest they be hardened in the, of the, because of the deceitfulness of sin. An important part of what God calls us to. Therefore, it makes perfect sense to read statements like this in the book, Minister of Healing, 493. It says, regard yourself as missionaries, first of all, among your fellow workers. That's kind of a thought-provoking statement. Regard yourself as missionaries, first of all, among your fellow workers. I, I recently listened to, uh, we have some, some nice documentaries produced by some people here at Verum Productions. I listened to the testimony of Cassina uh, recently. And in this 11-minute testimony, one thing she shared was pretty interesting. She shared how she, you know, she had been baptized, but she was working on the Sabbath, and she didn't dare to ask for Saturdays off. It was a hard decision because of her situation. But at that point of time, a Christian friend of hers, Said to, said to her, what are you doing, my sister? And she encouraged her to stand up for her beliefs and, and to stop compromising. And that is something that, that helped her to live according with the word of God. And many times, it really helped her, and many times we need that kind of push from a fellow believer to make good decisions and important decisions in our Christian walk. What are you doing, my sister? What are you doing? My brother. So I think it's important that we realize that we are, as Christians, we are our brother's keepers. As Christians, it's important to realize that this is an important and powerful part of your calling, of your ministry, and God's purpose for you, whatever talents he has given you. He calls all of us to, to help each other in the Christian walk. Now, the question comes, the big question comes, and this is what we'll spend the rest of the time on. How can we do this? How can we do this? How can we effectively try to help to support and to influence our brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe backsliding brothers and sisters in Christ, a family member, a friend, a, uh, someone we know that needs our support, that needs our help. I want to share five lessons, five keys. Some of them will mention pretty briefly that can help us to influence in a good way. The first thing I want to say a little bit about is to pray. One of the first things you can do, one of the most important things you can do, and sometimes one of the only things you can do, is to pray for that person. To pray for that person. You know, James 5, uh, 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Amen? Isn't that true? That's the, the kind of thing we're talking about when we're talking about prayer. Also, like Ministry of Healing 509, it says, We do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. Prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. So if you want to influence someone, if you want to help someone, well, basically the most powerful thing you can do is to pray. But that doesn't mean that should be the only thing. And God may work through you to answer your prayers too, right? We should pray and we should live our prayers. But one of the most powerful things you can do is to pray. And listen to this. Evangelism 3.41. Through much prayer, 
you must labor for souls. For this is the only method by which you can reach hearts. It is not your work, but the work of Christ, who is by your side, that impresses hearts. The only way you can reach hearts is when you put forth prayerful efforts. We need to labor, to, to work with people, to work with minds, to influence. It's, it's not an easy thing. We need God's guidance to, to guide us, to help us to know what to do, what not to do, when to do it, those kind of things. We need God's help. Now, one story that comes to mind when I think about praying as you're trying to work with someone or help someone or influence someone. When I was a student at, um, at Tyrifjord, the Seventist Academy, and then I worked there for half a year right afterwards, uh, it was this young guy, I wanted to, I tried to get Bible studies with him. He was a student, lived in the dormitory of this Adventist school. He wasn't really a... I think he had somewhat of an Adventist background, but he wasn't really a personal Christian, didn't really seem interested in Christianity. But I tried to get to start to have Bible studies with him. I wanted to share the Word of God. And I asked him a couple of times, but he you know, didn't really work, he didn't want to study. And, and I prayed for him, and I'm like, man, I prayed, and I tried, like, what can I do? And, and one time I thought, I've asked him a couple of times, I didn't want to nag him too much, but I thought, I'll ask him one more time at least. I'll ask him one more time. I saw him sitting in the library, he was doing some homework, and I said, let's walk over there, I thought, and ask him one more time. So I walk over there, and he sits there, and, and first I just ask him how he's doing, and recently I had joined some of the guys that played some soccer, I joined them one time, and, and then he got this injury uh, in his knee, pretty bad, he had to go to the hospital, he was on crutches for some time, he like, and, and he told me, I asked him, how, 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 how is it going with your knee? And he's like, oh, no, it's good. And, and he started to tell me, very interesting, he said, like, you know, I, was, I went to the hospital, you know, I got crutches, all of this, and then I was in my bed, I, I had lots of pain, and, and I was laying there in bed trying to sleep, I prayed to God, God, please help me, you know, with my knee. You know, he prayed to God, help me, God. And he said the next morning when he woke up, the pain was gone. The pain was gone. First of all, when he said that he prayed, I was kind of surprised. He wasn't the type of guy that is like praying. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What, what will he say now? I prayed, he said. And can you imagine? I just came there to ask him one more time. Do you want to, should we study the Bible together? And this is what he shares before I ask him. So what do you think he said <laughs> this time around? Finally, he said yes, right? Not only that, a couple of his friends, some of the, you know, these cool guys that were not interested, whatever, they also joined. So like, I think three of his friends or something. And we started to study the Bible every week. I had tried, I had asked, it didn't work, but I prayed and got it a miracle. And that opened the way to share the gospel. And that's the case in evangelism, also to help our fellow believers. When we pray earnestly, God will do powerful things. Now, how should we pray? A couple quick specific pointers. I think, obviously, pray for the person you are trying to reach. Also, I think a good thing to pray about is to ask God what you can do. Like, how can I help maybe this person? What can I do? How can you use me to answer my prayers? And then also, it's always good to take some time to listen to God as you spend time in prayer. Sometimes we just talk and talk and talk, give no opportunity for God to talk to us when we spend time with him in prayer. Uh, so that's also good. Many people, many backsliders from Christianity or from, from the church have, been, have returned to Christ as a result of earnest, persevering prayer. It may take time, sometimes years, you know, George Miller tells his story. He prayed for his five friends. One of them he prayed until his death for like 40 years or something. But shortly after his death, the last guy also got converted as the four other had been some years earlier. It may take time, but God will work powerfully when you pray. Our second lesson I want to talk a little bit about is kind of building on this one. Not only pray, but pray with someone. Or in other words, get involved in united prayer. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. 
And I want to notice here Matthew 18, verse 19 and verse 20. Important lessons here from, from the teaching of Jesus. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Here it says, Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For if two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Very interesting. Jesus here. Jesus says, when two of you agree to pray about something, God will answer your prayers. But Jesus, what, what are you talking about? Like, was Jesus tired here when he said this? Was he like, did he make a mistake? Doesn't God answer private prayers? If I pray individually, doesn't, like, did Jesus make a mistake here? Did he have a bad day at work, preaching? Or what, what is happening? Why does he say, when two people agree? Why does he not say, when you pray, God will do it. God will answer. The thing is this, Jesus realized. It took a, it took a while. I grew up in the church, fifth generation Adventist. But I think it was when I was like 18, 19 years when I really understood this lesson. Jesus realized this. We can expect more power in answer to united prayers than individual prayers. Yes, God also hears individual prayers. We should also pray individually. But God wants us to come together. God wants the Christian life to be a a life of community in many ways. He wants us to support each other. That's probably one reason why he designed it this way or why this is how it works. But we can expect more power when we unite as believers and we pray together for people. Now, notice this, this statement here from, from Pena Velomai. She put it like this, commenting on this verse, and I think what she says here is spot on. She says, The promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. And in answer to these prayers, in answer to united prayers, when believers unite in prayer, it says here, in answer to these prayers, there may be expected what? A power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. And we see many times in the Bible, when God's people come together to pray, God is doing wonderful things, powerful things, mighty things. I think the first time I learned this was actually close to, to here. At this event, Ambassadors for Christ in Malmö, Jerry Page was here talking about this. And he shared so many powerful testimonies of united prayer. How they were, they were really praying, they were praying together in California where he worked. And they saw wonderful conversions. They saw backsliders coming back to, to the faith. They saw God blessing financially, mission projects starting up. And when I heard these things, I was like, oh, this is cool, man, I should... I should uh, learn from this lesson, you know. And, and, and one thing that happened was, also when I was um, at this place, Turifjör, the school there, I had Bible studies with, with a Muslim guy for a couple of years when I was a student there. He lived also at the dorm in this empty school. And I studied with him for about two years. And it was kind of hard. It, it seemed like it would maybe not lead to so much. I tried, we had studies, you know, all of these things. I prayed for him as well. And now he was like in his last year, he was almost graduating. And I thought, man, if he doesn't make a decision soon, he may never make a decision for Jesus. So I like, after this, it was in the Easter, it was kind of the end of the school year. After I came back, I like, man, I should start to pray unitedly for him, not only alone. So I decided to, me and my dad, we started to, to pray half an hour, I think, like once a week, especially for, for my friend Neamat, this Muslim guy. 
And we started to pray. I also asked the prayer meeting I attended like, to pray for him as well. And we, we prayed that he would make a decision before he would leave the school there. Only a couple months left. Now, what's very interesting, the last day before graduation and before he would leave, I was with a group of people kind of the other side of the water there, the other side of the fjord. We were doing a, a church service on the Sabbath, preaching and doing the program in a church there in Kongsberg. And um, after that, we, we ate lunch there, we had a potluck, and then we drove back to the school here, to Tudifjord. When we came back in the afternoon, we knew it was supposed to be a baptism, and we thought, hey, let's go and see if they are still doing a baptism. It might be over, but we, we walked down, we came back to the school, you know, we walked down to, uh, to the water here, and rolled down to the, to the beach here and the water. And when we came down here, people were just on the way up again. They actually just had a closing prayer. So they were just praying, and while they were praying the closing prayer, some people started to walk already. My Muslim friend, he came to me, he was there, and he came up to me, and he, during the prayer, normally Muslims, they are pretty respectful to prayer and these kind of things, but during the prayer, he started to talk with me, and he's like, hey man, I was, you know, kind of felt that he, maybe he should get baptized and, and, and whatever, and, and then basically, he, he said he had been there, and he, while he saw these baptisms, he thought to himself, should I get baptized? And, and he prayed, God, maybe send, me, send someone to talk with me or something. And then we come there, one and a half drive away. If we would have been there like two minutes late, I wouldn't have talked with him there. And this would maybe never have happened. But basically, there and then, he decides, I say, let's, hey, you know, I told him, I think, about Ethiopia and Inuk, and we read something. And, and I went, hey, let's talk with the pastor. And we went, we talked to the pastor. And people are on their way up already. But then he was like, hey, come down again. We have one more baptism. And then basically, he, he went out there, he had this like, nice suit, kind of a light suit, it wasn't really like the baptism clothes, right? But he walked out in his full church clothes, out in the water there, and got baptized. And, and this was, yes, I think, a powerful answer to prayer. I have worked for him for a long time, and it seemed like he wouldn't lead to anything, but then I started to pray unitedly. A couple of months later, God is doing this, and I powerfully answered that, that prayer. Now... Here is a picture of, on the right here, of my little brother. Well, he's not so small, he's actually like 198, so he's actually taller than me, but he's younger, at least. A couple of years ago, you know, he has been attending church uh, since he, you know, grew up and, and all of that. And often he was like part of the song team and the choir and some things. But he was in need of conversion, nevertheless. And um, he himself later said that he was a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God, as it says, as Paul writes and had a form of godliness, but he was denying its power. So as a family, we thought like, hey man, he's kind of at an important phase of his life. He soon has to decide what to do after high school and make some big decisions. And we decided to start to pray unitedly for him. Once a week, we met physically if we were able to, or otherwise online through, through Skype, pre-Zoom time. And we started to pray for him. Less than a year later, I think it was about 10 months later, if I'm my memory is correct, he got baptized at the age of 18. And he still, you know, was kind of needed some more development on this and that, but he got baptized. At least, you know, he, he believed this, you know, this is true and all of that. About a year after that again, he decides to go fly to the other side of the world to go to a mission school, which he actually did not want to do. And he actually had other plans. It really looked like this will not happen. But I think basically we really prayed and really I tried to talk with him and encourage him as well. And, and I think God really did a miracle. And he, he went over there uh, to Australia and he had a very good time. God worked powerfully when he was there. Uh, he loved it. He, was, he started to you know, spend time with God every day. Uh, he started to you know, have 
hours of Bible classes every day and uh, stopped playing you know, computer games, different things he used to do before, went on outreach, and he was like, he wanted to start preaching and giving Bible studies. Like, God was really working a lot. Anyway, he still needs some prayer today. He lost some of that that he had then, I think. But, but we started to see when we came together unitedly, and we could share many stories, how God was working and God was doing something in the life of the people we were praying. So I want to encourage you to, to do that, to pray. If you find someone, maybe one person, maybe two persons, prayer meeting, to, to unitedly pray that God will work in people's lives. Do you think this is a good thing to do? Do you think this is something we maybe should do more than we do sometimes as believers, as a church? I believe we should listen to this, these statements, also from, from my favorite author, Gospel Workers, very interesting and inspirational, I think. Gospel Workers 65, it says here, In times past, there were those who fastened their minds upon one soul after another, saying, Lord, help me to save this soul. That's how it used to be back in the days, maybe before TV and all other distractions, I don't know, internet, Instagram, Pokemon Go, I don't know. <laughs> they used to, to meet together, and, and, and we have, they're like, God, help me to save this soul. But now it says, such instances are rare. Such instances are rare. How many act as if they realize the peril of sinners? How many take those whom they know to be in peril, presenting them to God in prayer and supplicating him to save them? This is what God wants us to do. How often do we do it? God wants us, I think, to be more earnest in prayer, to, to really work for each other, to, to support each other, to try to, to really work for the salvation of souls, both outside of the church and maybe inside of the church. It's good to, it can be important to realize that usually when people fall away, when people walk astray, People are usually lost inside of the church before they are lost outside of the church. And God may give us discernment. God can give us discernment to help us to see and help us to, to do something before it, it's harder and harder to maybe change something. Listen to this also from Testimony 7, page 21. It says, Why do not believers feel a deeper, more earnest concern for those who are out of Christ? Why do not two or three meet together and plead with God for the salvation of some special one and then for still another? This is what God wants us to do. Why do we don't do it? Why, why is, not, is it not happening more? In our churches, let companies be formed for service. Let different ones unite in labors as fishers of men. Let them seek to gather souls from the corruption of the world into the saving purity of Christ's love. So I want to encourage you to do that, to, to, to unite with people in prayer. So our third point is focus on the most important thing. Focus on the most important thing. As we try to, to influence people in a positive way, as we try to help people outside of the church or, or believers in Christ, focus on the most important thing. Now, Stephen Covey, some of you may have read his well-known book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, sold more than 25 million copies. One quote he has in that book is the following, a good, good statement here. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing. The main thing. It's not some wise words here. I think so. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good, wise statement. The main thing, the most important thing, is to keep the main thing. The main thing. And I think that's very useful also in ministry and in, in, in our efforts for the salvation of souls. The most important thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, what is the most important thing in Christianity? What is the most important thing in Christianity? Or in the Christian life, you could say. I think a key thing 
definitely is pointed out in John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. It says here, And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The true Christian life, the essence of the Christian life, is not so much about knowledge as about knowing. It's not so much about religious rites and ceremonies and you know, these kind of things, as it is about a real relationship. This is kind of the essence of Christianity, a living, dynamic relationship to Jesus Christ, to a living God. And of course, central part of that relationship is time in, in the Word, time in, in, in prayer. And that's kind of what the African story was a good thing, you know, when they saw the grass growing. And like, that meant people are maybe not spending that time with God as they used to. They're, they're missing the foundation. Sometimes, you know, when you think about it, you can think about it as a, as a tree. A tree with roots and branches and leaves and all these things. You know, if there are some serious problems with the roots, I'm not too much into you know, trees and how all of that, this works, but if there are big problems with, this, with the roots, that will impact the branches and the leaves, right? Sometimes if, if, if there is some sickness there, something lacking, some nutrition is not coming as it should. If there is a problem with the roots, it will impact other things. And sometimes in ministry or as we are working with a, maybe a family member or whatever it is, Sometimes we are tempted to maybe work with the branches and the leaves, you know, some minor things. There are many things we could talk about. We could, like, man, you shouldn't, you shouldn't watch that or listen to that or, or, or wear that. And that might have its place to sometimes say those kind of things. But generally, if the relationship with God comes in place, if they spend their time in the Word, if they spend their time in prayer, many of those other things will come automatically. And the main thing we should focus on is to help people to make sure that they spend that time uh, with God in communion with him. Now, I'm, I'm glad growing up, five siblings, we're not the most crazy kids, not the most angelic kids either, I don't know, something in between. But I'm glad that my parents, growing up, they tried to really focus on what was most important. They tried to make it a focus to really, that we spent that time with God. They would read Bible stories for us, they would, they would help us to have some prayer books and write things down, and they would encourage us to read ourselves also, Bible stories. There were some games we wanted to play, and they thought, you know, it's not the worst games. They could do some of it, but they didn't want us to spend too much time on it. But they said that, okay, you can play this game the same amount of time as you read this Bible story book. So we would, that was the best way to inspire us to read these books. We would read all these Bible books, all these Bible stories, and we counted the time, and then we could play these games. And otherwise, she struggled to get us to do it. And they tried to focus on some of the main things. Also, you know, what kind of environment we would have, like what kind of church would we have? And to go to events, environments where they, they thought we would have a good spiritual influence, like to go to like the summer camps, inspiration weeks, and places where I was basically a key part of my conversion was at those kind of places. And they didn't fight about a lot of things, they didn't force us to do a lot of things, but one time she forced me to go to this creationism seminar. I was like 15 years old, and I'm like, do you force me to go? And she's like, yeah. She was almost sure, she said she was 99% sure that I would like it. And she wouldn't often do it, but I, it was really a blessing to me. I went to a secular school in that time, and I heard really good arguments that I could understand as a 15-year-old for the, the biblical worldview. And she said that, you know, I was usually like kind of a quiet kid and whatever. But when I came home, I was like very excited. I talked a lot, and so I really, I remember that. I think it was helpful in my conversion and, and other stories. Anyway, so I'm happy that they tried to really focus on the most important things. Even moving to Norway, to this school, to the fjord, because they thought that would be better for us to go to that school than some other schools. 
And I know those years for me was really a significant part of my conversion experience. So I'm very, very thankful for that. So focus on the most important things. Now, I was asked to serve on this board, an important board in the church, a big board. I was the youngest board member. And it was like, I knew I would kind of be maybe a minority in many issues and so on. And like I asked some people for counsel before and how should I you know, act in this board? Do you have some advice for me? And I was thinking about this. A couple of statements that guided me in that, that experience or that responsibility as a board member was statements like this. A smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether to say it or not. A smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether to say it or not. Another statement is this. You can only be a martyr once. Choose your course wisely. Can only be a martyr once. Choose your course wisely. I, I, it's also interesting. There are other verses in Proverbs on a similar note. But in Amos 5, 13, it says, Therefore, the prudent, or the wise, as some translations put it, the prudent keeps silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Sometimes the wisest thing you can say is nothing. And sometimes you could say a lot of things to a person, in a, in a, in, to a group, to an organization, to, to a brother, to a sister, whatever, to a child. If you say everything you could say, if you try to fix everything you could fix, people will eventually stop listening to you. Sometimes the, it's wiser to be silent and you focus on maybe a few things and you really try to like, at least do this, you know, at least spend time in the Word, at least spend time in prayer, and you will have more success, you will have greater influence for good in that person or in that organization, whatever. So focus on the most important thing as you try to influence people. Number four, keep in mind that how is important. Keep in mind that how you say, do something, how you share something, how you say something is very important. You could say the same statement, right? A, a, a smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether to say it or not. You could also add, and if you, at least if you're really wise, you also know maybe when to say it and how to say it. <laughs> that's kind of what we are aiming for, right? Uh, that's also very important. Keep in mind on how is important. Now, Anyone that didn't hear me share this recently, a few of you did. Anyone want to guess how much these three lamps here, how much do you think they cost? I have to put them up as an electrician, tent maker, trade uh, in Norway some time ago. Any guesses? What is the price? How much would you pay for these lamps? If you would have them in your living room. Any suggestions? <laughs> how much do you think these cost? 2,000 each. 2,000 each? 2,000 crowns each? 500? You said 500? Yeah. It's, uh, let me see, it's actually about... 70,000 crowns, these three lamps, 70,000 crowns. Quite amazing. Uh, I would not have paid that much money for those three lamps. Now, I also worked on a store. It wasn't this exact store, but it was a similar size, not like a super big, as an H&M store in a shopping center in, in Bergen, West Norway. And we installed, you know, we did all the electrical work for them and whatever. And I, I was told when we were there, very interesting, they told me how much the total cost of the light of that store was. Anyone want to guess how much was the total lighting cost in that you know, regular you know, store, uh, HMN store there in that shopping center? Any suggestions? A million? A million, that's actually, yeah, about one million crowns. That's actually exactly right. About one million crowns, that's about 110,000 euro approximately. For the lights, you know, they have lights to light up the room, they have down lights on the products. The interesting thing is this is not a coincidence. You know, H&M is uh, a Swedish multinational retail clothing company. It's ranked the second largest clo glo global clothing retailer. H&M exists in 55 countries with 3,500 stores. And as of 2013, employed around 116,000 people. You can be sure that it's not an accident. It was carefully thought through how they would design their store, how they would do the lighting. It wasn't... It wasn't an accident. They carefully fought it through. And the reason is this. 
they know that how we present something makes a big difference. In other words, how people receive something is largely dependent on how it is presented. How people receive something is largely dependent on how it is presented. That's true, I think, in many ways in business, and it's definitely true also when it comes to ministry and the sharing of the gospel. How we say something, how we do something, largely impacts how it is received. So it's important to, to keep in mind that how you do it, how you present, how you go about it also makes a big difference. Now, therefore, the last point, point number five, therefore, this is a crucial point, And that is this. Study. Study. What do I mean with that? Study how to most effectively influence people for good. Study, you know, principles of personal evangelism. Study, as Paul wrote, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study how to best influence people. And many of those principles are useful in evangelism, but also in other type of influence and relationships as well. Many of the same principles are very, very useful. Now, do you know what uh, things like this, FFF, push release, minimize, maximize principles, do you know what, the, what those are? I know some people of you have heard it recently in some classes here. Do you know these kind of principles? Do you know how, to, how they work? I think they are very useful in evangelism, but even in also other kind of interactions and, and situations of influence in our lives, these kind of principles of personal evangelism. Other type of principles there are things like you know, the science of getting decisions, indicators of conviction, the key elements of decision-making. If you understand those kind of elements, it will help you to maybe help people to make good decisions, you know, how to use diagnostic questions, things like this, how to meet objections if somebody's kind of they have objections to making a certain decision, to making a move, to doing this or that. And things like Christ's method of evangelism. I think many of you are familiar with that, that quote, right? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. Powerful, powerful blueprint for evangelism. But I think these principles are also very useful when we want to help a brother sister in Christ, maybe a backslider. Same principles are very useful many times also in those kind of relationships. So some quick recommendations here on, on this note. One great like 30-minute sermon you can listen to on Audioverse by Glenn Kuhn, great old preacher from back in the day. He has a presentation called Seven Secrets of Communication. Share some powerful principles that will help you to have a positive influence in many different kind of people's lives in, in your family, in your church, uh, friends, and so on. Powerful presentation. Other good books when it comes to personal evangelism, and those kind of principles are books like Gaining Decisions for Christ by Louis Torres, Persuasion by Mark Finley, Winsome Witnessing by Gary Gibbs. It will help you to learn many of these principles of evangelism that are useful other places too. Uh, this is a book, I don't know, did anyone of you read this book? Yeah, Daniel? I'm reading it currently, I've come pretty far, I'm not done yet. Dale Carnage, How to Win Friends and Influence People, the only book you need to lead you to success. As far as I know, he's not a Christian. It's like a secular book. It's a bestseller, over 75 years in print. But it's very good. Lots of good stuff. Of course, it's not inspired prophetically, and it's not like word by word correct everything. But lots of useful examples showing you how many of the biblical principles. And I think if anyone had read this book many times, she would, she would have said amen. It, it shows you how many of these principles really how powerful they are in many different areas of life. And how many like really successful people in the world they have actually access many times because of these kind of principles that we know, but maybe do not always fully practice like we should. So I think this is a good book for everyone today. It's pretty easy to read. And I think if 
all of us as Adventists, all Christians, follow these principles more carefully, many more people will be converted and said. We would, we would have a more positive and powerful influence in, in different type of relationships, different type of situations in our lives. And last recommendation is to go to a mission school. I think that's, that's a good place, a great thing for a number of reasons, but you learn many principles that are useful in many areas of life that will help you to have a positive influence in ministry, personal ministry, different type of ministry. Personally, I think that's something everyone should do sometime in their life, and it's really a great experience. I did it two times, and I want to do it again. It was so good. So anyway, that's a recommendation that I think is really life-changing and, 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 and nice and, and a blessing. Now, even though it's important how we do things, I, think I just want to say this. Don't wait to try to make a difference in people's life. Don't wait until you have studied for five years and you learn every single principle and lesson for how to best impact people. Don't do that. Jesus sent the demon possessed right away, the woman at the well right away, there were witnesses right away, they had limited knowledge, but God used them right away. That doesn't mean they shouldn't learn and continue to grow and learn more lessons, even though you may have been to a mission school even, you can still learn a lot of things still, right? It's in the water you learn to swim. And it's as you start to do these things, you will learn to do them better and better. Now, as we close, I want to tell you a story, the story of Samuel Rhodes. Powerful story. This is from the Advent movement. So they had this big revival across the denominations in Christianity in the 1840s. And they believed, based on their studies of the book of Daniel, right? They believed that Jesus would come back. The study of Daniel 8.14, this 2,300-year prophecy. They believed that Jesus would come back in 1844, October 22nd, 1844. They believed Jesus would come back, and they preached that he would come back. And you can imagine how disappointed they were when it didn't happen. Many had sold their farms. They had uh, not planted their, uh, you know, potatoes. Uh, they thought they didn't need it for the winter or whatever. Like, and, and it doesn't happen. Utterly disappointed. Now, but after the disappointment, they were very encouraged when they learned what really happened as a fulfillment of that prophecy. When they learned that Jesus had begun his final, the final part of his ministry as our high priest in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary. When they understood that this is what really happened. They were very encouraged. But the courage didn't come so easy to all of them. Some of them really struggled to, 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 to get courage, the courage back after that disappointment. One of them was Samuel Rhodes. Now, this guy, years before the expected return of Jesus, he had sold his farm. He had invested in, in tracts, in materials to share the gospel, to spread the gospel. He had, he had been preaching the gospel. You know, he was a, 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 a preacher. He was an energetic guy. He was a resourceful guy. People referred to him as Peter. He, 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 God was using him powerfully, it seems like, and, and, and he preached that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He preached that he, he was coming, but when he didn't come, Samuel Rhodes didn't take it too well. He was very disappointed. He did not take it well. After that disappointment, when he would go to town, you know, people would, would, would say to him, they would say, like, hey, Brother Rhodes, you are still here. You are still here. And they would say things like, are you going next time? I guess you weren't good enough, huh? Like, you're still here? Well, have a nice day. They would say things like this, and, and eventually he got so tired by all this mocking and all these taunts and years, and it was too much for him. So finally one day, Brother Samuel Rhodes, he, he got on his pony, his small horse, and, and, and he grabbed a few tools, and, and he hopped up on this pony, and, and, and he, said, he said, Goodbye, world. I'm leaving you. And then he was riding away. He went off. He left Oswego, New York, where he lived. And he rode 70 
miles east to Boonville and he rode down the Indian Trail a few miles past this place called Spoonfield and he crossed this black river by the foot of some mountains there and then he cleared a little plot of land and he built a little cabin and he just lived there in that, on that land like a hermit completely by himself and every day as he lived there as a hermit out there in the boonies he, he felt more rejected of God and more despised of man. But brother Hiram Edson, he wanted to try to help this brother back on track. So he decided, hey, I want to go and visit Samuel Rose. I want to go and visit him. So he went there and he said, Samuel, come on back. Samuel, come back. Jesus loves you. You don't have to be discouraged. Jesus loves you. Come back. But Samuel Rose did not want to listen. He didn't want to have anything of that. He looked very discouraging. Harry Madsen, he was, he was close to giving up. He looked really hopeless. It didn't look like it was something he should continue doing. But I might encourage him, try again. Go there again. So he rode, he rode back there, 70 miles, to Boonville, and he crossed the Black River, and he and another guy, he had another guy with him this time, Richard Ralph. And, and, and when they saw Samuel Rhodes here out on the field, he was working out there on the field, Richard, he said to, to Samuel Rhodes, he said, Brother Rhodes, greetings. But as... Samuel Rhodes looked up, he looked at them, he was not very welcoming. He was like, well, hello, what do you want? Like, he didn't really want them to be there. What do you want? But Edson said, oh, brother, Jesus loves you. We are here to bring you back. And he's like, well, nah, nah I don't really want that. But, but they're like, they, they don't give up. They're like, why don't you come with us? Why don't you come with us, brother Rhodes? We're having some meetings. Why don't you come? But he's like, nah, I can't go today. Um, you know, I have so many things to do. I can't come. He didn't really have so many things to do, but he didn't want to go. But I was, I met him and said, no, no, it's fine. I, I will wait. It's okay. No problem. He, and, and he had said, oh, maybe tomorrow, he said, but he didn't really want to go. But yeah, that's what he said. But so anyway, I met him. He didn't give up. And he said, okay, no problem. And he decided to stay there all night. He just stayed there all night. And next day he went to Simon Rhodes and he said, Brother Rhodes, I'm sure now you're ready to go. And he was like, well, okay, I guess. And reluctantly, you know, he comes with them. And they start walking across, you know, the Black River onto the Indian Trail. And, but as they are walking there on, in line, um, he's walking in the back there, some of the roads in the back. All of a sudden, as they are walking down that trail, some of the roads, he just... He has started running away as soon as he can. Like, runs into the forest. He doesn't want to join them. He doesn't want none, no, he wants none of that. He just runs into the forest as, as fast as he can, you know. But Harry um, Edson, he, he doesn't give up so easily. So, so he starts running as well. He starts running as, soon as, he, as fast as he can. He runs after him into the forest. But uh, Simon Rhodes, he had an advantage because this was his terrain. He knew this area. And he tried to like really run around the trees and over the hills and he tried to like, you know, move here and there and so he would lose Hiram Edson running after him so he wouldn't be able to, to follow. But um, he didn't give up easily. Hiram Edson was very determined. He, he was really running hard and really following and, and trying everything he could to, to, to follow. So they're running around the trees, over the hills, here and there and all of this and it's continuing to running after Samuel Rhodes. And, and eventually he runs around these large bushes. And when Harmet comes around those bushes, he sees Samuel Rhodes there. He sees him down on his knees, with his face in his hands. And he's there on his knees, with the face in his hands, crying. 
He's crying, he's weeping, and he says, he prays, he says, Oh Jesus, why do my brethren love me so? Oh Jesus, why do my brethren love me so? Why do they seek me like this? And then he says, Jesus, is it possible that you love me like this? Is it possible that you love me like this? And he's weeping, he's down on his knees. And brother Hiram Edson, he has the great privilege to walk up to Samuel Rhodes. He, he puts his hand on his shoulder around, around his brother and he says, Brother Rhodes, Jesus loves you like this. And after that experience, as you can imagine, he was happy to come eventually with Hiram Edson. They started studying the Bible together. And he started to realize what really happened in October of 1844. What was really the true fulfillment of Daniel 8.14. And he starts to see it. And, and, and discouragement disappears. And he starts to revive his faith and his fervor for Jesus. And, and, and the next few years, he was very active for, for in the cause of Christ. And he preached and he encouraged, he exhorted and he won many converts for Jesus. So much so that people, the opponents started to criticize him and, and, and target him with their criticism. And James White, he said the following on Simon Grove. He said, no man has more freely given all for a treasure in heaven than Brother Rhodes. His commendable zeal in the cause and success in convincing people of the truth has caused our enemies to wickedly reproach him. It worked. It was hard. It looked hopeless. But eventually, Samuel Rhodes came back to Jesus. As we close, I have two appeals for you today. The first appeal is this. There is someone listening to my words today, under the sound of my voice today. You are not where you maybe used to be or where you should be in regards to your relationship to Jesus. You do not have that living, dynamic relationship to Jesus right now, as God wants you to have and as you need to have. You need to revive Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you have been a little bit like some girls. Maybe not that discouraged, but you have maybe lost some of the fervor you used to have. That is the case for you, someone here or someone online. I want to encourage you today. I want to say to you today, on behalf of Jesus, that he loves you. Wherever you are, he wants you back. He wants that relationship. He loves you. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. He wants you to follow him. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. Is he your savior? Is he truly and fully the Lord of your life? If not, why not make that decision today? Why not say in your heart today, God, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Lord. Don't wait to make that decision. Make that decision today, if that applies to you. My second appeal is this. Do you know a Samuel Rhodes? Is there a Samuel Rhodes in your life?
is there someone, maybe a brother, maybe a son, maybe a child, maybe a cousin, maybe a friend, maybe a church member, is there someone you know that have lost that fire they used to have, or they are on their way to lose that fire, that God wants to use you to encourage, that God wants to use you to help them back, to strengthen them, to guide them, to lead them. Do you want to let God use you for that type of ministry? To help your brother and sister in Christ? To help them stay strong? To help them on the Christian walk? Is that your desire to I want that. I want God to use me in that ministry. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, we want to thank you so much for your great love towards us. Thank you for your patience. You see, many times we have done things we shouldn't have done. We have failed you many times. But thank you that you are a God of second chances. And thank you that you want us. You want us to be your followers. You want to be our Savior and our Lord. God, you see the desire of our hearts. You see the commitments of our hearts today. We want to say to you today that we want you to be our Savior. We want you to be our Lord. And we want to also make ourselves available for you to help us to do maybe even more frequently and earnestly than we have in the past to help us to encourage one another as believers. Maybe there is someone you want us to call today. Maybe someone you want us to write today. Someone you want us to pray more frequently for in our lives. Lord, help us to see who you may want to use us to help and that we can bless each other on the walk on this narrow way so that we may be able to stand and that we, none of us or none of our loved ones, may be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, but that we can be a part of your glorious kingdom that you soon are going to set up. This is our prayer. Thank you for everything you have done and everything you will do. And be with us the rest of this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.